0: Lord our God, King of the universe, for Christ's sake, open our eyes to see through faith that there is far more going on than meets the eye, to believe that you are at work in our lives and the world around us, even when we cannot see what you are up to. Amen. Dearly beloved in Christ, you may follow along this morning using uh, the Bible in the pew ahead of you on page 312, or you can use the worship folder from which we were following Paul as he read to us earlier, our text is 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at the 8th verse. Dear friends, have you ever been playing cards with someone and get the feeling that one of your opponents knows where every card is on the table and can anticipate your next move. Now, I've never been a very good card player. I never could figure out when to hold them and when to fold them. When I would play cards with my late father-in-law, Bill, it seemed like he knew where every card was on the table and would know what card i was going to play next it was frustrating it was infuriating now maybe that is how the king of syria felt in our reading from second kings chapter 6 and i'd invite you to follow along beginning at verse 8 once when the king of syria was warring against israel he took counsel with his servant saying at such and such a place shall be my camp. Now, the Syrian king here was planning to attack Israel. And so he's meeting with his counselors, developing his plan of attack. Verse 9 But the man of God, that is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel Beware that you not, do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he, Elisha, used to warn him, the king of Israel, so that the king of Israel saved himself there more than once. Are you a planner? Do you plan your day, your week, your month, your year? Do you plan your vacation? How do you feel when someone spoils your plans? I know a man who manages multiple teams who are doing research and development. And you might imagine how he felt when someone on one of his teams started stealing his company's research results and giving them to another company. Well, the king of Syria here hits a serious speed bump on his way to implement his war plans. Someone was stealing those plans, and giving them to the king of Israel. Every time the Syrians thought that they could engage the Israelites, the Israelites had moved. Now, you can imagine that the Syrian king was not a happy camper. Verse 11, and the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel." The king of Israel was, uh, was disturbed. He guessed that a spy was among them. But it was not a spy among his counselors. Here's what we find, verse 12. "'And one of his servants said, "'None, my lord, none of us, O king.' But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Whoa, wait a minute. Elisha was not in Damascus, the capital of Syria. He certainly was not in the palace bedroom overhearing the king's plans. So how did Elisha know what the Syrian king's next play would be? The Lord. The living God, Elisha, served and heard. The Lord told Elisha what to tell the king of Israel so he and his armies would stay out of harm's way. Now that the Syrian king knew who it was channeling information to the Israelites king, he was not going to let that prophet spoil his plans against the Israelites one more time. So verse 13. And he said, go and see where, that, where he is, that they may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, Elisha is in Dothan. Dothan was the hometown of Elisha, about 12 miles north of the capital of Israel, Samaria. So he sent their horses and chariots and had a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Elisha's in deep trouble. At least that's how Elisha's servant saw it. Verse 15 When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? When was the last time you felt Afraid, really afraid. How do you react when life looks helpless and hopeless? A few weeks ago, our oldest daughter came from Delaware to visit her two younger sisters who live here. And uh, we all went together to shop at at an antique store. Uh, They were all busy shopping, and I was trying to keep watch on our two youngest grandsons the five- and and the three-year-old. I lost track of the five-year-old. And then within a minute, thank God, I found him. But not before he and I reacted with desperate fear like Elisha's servant, who upon seeing the Syrian army surrounding the city cried out to his master, pulling his hair out, what shall we do? But Elisha, did not react with fear. Why? Verse 16, he said, do not be afraid. Are you a glass half empty person or a glass half full person? When times get tough, do you just throw in the towel? Or do you say to yourself or someone else in trouble, Pull yourself together. You can do this. Just do it. Elisha told his servant neither. He said, do not be afraid. We go on to read here in verse 15, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. First, Elisha did not tell a servant to give up and get ready to die. Nor did Elisha tell his servant to reach deep down within himself to find some hidden strength or self-confidence. Instead, Elisha assured his servant that though they seemed to be in an awful pickle, they were in good hands. Oh, not with all state, but with an army far outnumbering the Syrian troops surrounding them. Where was this army? Elisha could see and feel the scary Syrian soldiers threatening them, and he was afraid. (laughs) I would be too, wouldn't you? Where was the help Elisha claimed was already on the job protecting them against the attacking Syrians? Well, verse 15, or 17, rather. Then Elisha prayed. Have you ever heard someone say, Well, all we can do now is pray. Consider God's promise in Isaiah chapter 65. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Billy Graham is quoted as saying, when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. In Romans chapter 8, we learn that Jesus and his spirit pray for us, especially when we don't know how to pray. What a friend we have in Jesus, we sang this morning, right? Hmm? Elisha prayed and said, "Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire, all around Elisha. So first, Elisha told his servant, do not be afraid. Second, Elisha prayed for the Lord to give his servant the big picture, God's point of view on their situation. I was reading about the James, uh, the, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope. Anybody hear about that? Seen some of the images? Hmm? Pretty cool, huh? Well, I was reading an article by by an astrophysicist. I can hardly say that word. Astrophysicist. And and she claims, like many of her peers, that more than 80% of the matter in the universe around us is invisible, 80%, invisible to us. Well, as I'm reading the Bible from Genesis to revelation i keep discovering how much is going on behind the scenes out of our sight and our awareness here god is is answering elisha's prayer so his servant could see with the eyes that he had given elisha to see that they were surrounded by these horses and chariots of fire an army of angels deployed by the Lord God to save them. Now, now, the Syrian soldiers would never succeed in their mission to capture Elisha and his servant. Verse 18, and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed. He prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And Elisha led them to Samaria, the capital of Israel, the stronghold of the Israelite king, the headquarters of his army. Wow. But think about this. Rather than pray that the Lord would destroy the Syrians on the spot, Elisha prayed that God would enable him to capture them and bring them to the Israelite king. And so we read verse 20. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Oh Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, without swinging a sword or firing an arrow, the Israelite king and his army held prisoner their Syrian enemies. They who had surrounded Elisha in Dothan now found themselves surrounded on all sides by the Israelites. Verse 21. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Sadly, the Israelites' king's question revealed the darkness in his own heart. When someone hurts you, when someone hurts you, what do you feel like doing? Let's say someone at work makes you look bad and appears to want your job. Do you look for ways to hurt them in return? Thankfully, God's spirit gave that king enough sense to ask Elisha's advice before doing what comes naturally to us when dealing with our adversaries. Verse 22, he, Elisha, answered the king of Israel, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Elisha reminded the king that the fifth commandment does not allow for the murder of our enemies, even during war. As Martin Luther teaches us in the small catechism, we should fear and love God so that we. Do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Now, why would anyone do that, especially when it comes to their enemies? Here's why. God in Christ redeemed us at the cost of his own lifeblood, just so that we could treat our enemies the the way he treats us. So, Elisha insisted. He told the king of Israel to do this. He said, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, the king sent them away. And they, the Syrian soldiers, went to their master, the king of Syria. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Well, what might we learn from this amazing story? Here are three things I'm learning. Number one, we need the Lord to open our eyes to what is really putting us in danger. Number two, we need him to open our eyes to the help that he is already providing. And number three, we need him to blind us to ourselves and this, and then give us eyes of faith in him. Let's go through those a little more slowly. Number one, we need God to open our eyes to what is really putting us in danger. Every day we hear about dangers and threats, hackers trying to steal personal information from our phones and computers, dangers posed by big government and by those trying to destroy the government we have corrupt and incompetent politicians, inflation, Iran, Russia, China, health threats. But none of these compare with the Ten Commandments and what they reveal about what is going on in our own hearts. While we were on vacation in a small town far from home, our oldest son at the age of three and a half broke his leg. We took him to the local hospital, but the doctors there could not help him. We drove him to another hospital 25 miles away, bouncing in the uh, uh, the back of a borrowed station wagon. And then when we finally got to the emergency room there, he sat in that room in the hallway for six hours without any pain medication. Now, along that journey which continued, by the way, to two more hospitals before he ever was able to learn how to walk again. Along that whole summer's journey, I remember feeling angry and upset and breaking more than one commandment. And the Holy Spirit had to open my eyes to my bitterness, deadly bitterness. Endangering me, my family, and as Hebrews chapter 12 reveals what could potentially poison the lives of many others. In other words, what really endangers us is anything going on in our hearts, minds, and lives that is leading us back into sin and trying to separate us from God. You remember back in Genesis chapter 39, young Joseph resisted the seduction of a powerful woman by saying, how then can I do this wickedness, this great wickedness and a sin against God? The Holy Spirit had taught Joseph what Jesus would later tell his followers. Do not fear those who can kill the body but not the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. My friends, if we are tempted to sin against any of the Ten Commandments, or if we have already fallen into a trap set by temptation, we need to ask with Elisha's servant, what shall we do? And Number two, then, we need God to open our eyes to the help he has already provided. I had just finished coaching our middle son's soccer team practice when a teammate came up behind him and gave him a gentle shove. Well, our son fell on his arm, and when I got to him, as he was screaming, I looked and saw that it was twisted in a strange shape, and I began to panic like like Elisha's servant, the Holy Spirit then had to remind me that there was a hospital only a mile away, one where I had visited people before. I knew some of the staff. And there, God could help our son, and he did, so that our son would heal and go on to play his favorite sports. My friends, God does not simply send us horses and chariots of fire, his angel armies, to surround us in times of trouble. According to Psalm 8 and the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, God sent us Jesus, the one who is much superior to angels, to be born among us human beings who are made a little lower than the angels, to be tempted in every way we are, yet never sin, and then suffer God's judgment on a cross so that we would now know that he has shed his blood to wash clean sinners like me and you. When we wake up and smell the coffee of God's goodness to see what damage our relationship to God could suffer, On account of our sin, what relationship we could do to others when we sin against them. Well, then we find that we have to flee sinful traps like the ones we hear about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and and 1 Timothy chapter 6. We need to flee from the love of money or sexual immorality or anything that would divert us from God's direction and Cause us to make our own choices, to live for ourselves, to say, this is my body and I'm going to do with it whatever I want. No. We need to fight the good fight of faith. We need in contentment to pursue what God has provided, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, gentleness, and take hold of the eternal life to which we have been called in Christ. So number three. Finally, we need God to blind us, to blind us and then give us eyes of faith in him. We need God to use our pride to blind us as he did the Syrian soldiers until we become aware of our helplessness. And then we need God to give us eyes of faith in him who is able to help us just as he gave them to Elisha's servant to believe that God is at work in our lives and the world around us even when we cannot see what he is up to. When our youngest son was still a toddler, my family traveled to New York after Christmas to see my parents still living there. After a couple of days to give mom and dad a little break from our flock of four kids at the time, we went to a movie theater at a two-story mall, crowded mall. We went, saw the movie, but as we came out, and blended in with the after-Christmas sales shoppers moving through the mall, I turned around to discover that our two-year-old son was not among us. Had some evil actor kidnapped him? Had he simply gotten lost? How would I ever find the little fellow among the, the, the crowds of much taller people? <laughs> with terror crushing my heart and tears streaming down my face, I said, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. And then something happened that I have never seen or heard since. A public announcement, loudly broadcast throughout the two story mall, said "What the parents of a little boy lost in the Sears store come and get him? <laughs> The little kid was having a meltdown, and so was I, but I lost my son. God had not. He had not lost my son. And then, without any merit or worthiness in me, the Lord graciously returned our son to our care. Open our eyes, O Lord, God, King of the universe, to what really puts us in danger our own selfishness toward others, and our sins against you in thought, word, and deed. Open our eyes, Lord, to the help you have already provided, Jesus, whom you sent to live the life we have failed to live, to die the death of a sinner in our places, and to arise from death so we could follow him by your Holy Spirit. Blind us with our pride, O Lord, until we give up on ourselves and everything else, and then give us the eyes of faith to trust what you promise in holy baptism, And serve us in holy communion. Open our eyes to seeing your crucified, risen, and ascended son, Jesus, that you care. That you are for us, not against us. That you are at work in our lives and the world around us in ways we are not aware. That you have not left us without the hope and the help we need for today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. Amen. Amen.